Hey everyone, welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, where we talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter, and we ask the question, but why though? Before we get started with the show, just wanted to make sure that for those of you listening on SoundCloud, you all know that this is going to be our last episode on the platform. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, YouTube, and if we're missing anything, let us know. Feel free to email us at info at butwhythoughpodcast.com. We're also on social media at ButWhyThoughPC on Instagram, Twitter, and then Facebook.com slash ButWhyThoughPC. We love interacting. Send us some more fan ButWhyThoughs and, you know, just ask some general questions. Last thing on the table is make sure to check out our Patreon. By donating a dollar a month, you can get access to all of our research notes, early access to our episodes, extras, and we're working on some special merch for our Patreon patrons. Now, before we dive into the episode... This is part two of a two-part series. We just got sucked into the conversation and we couldn't keep track of time. So here we go with NFL Matters, the social issues and impacts. Enjoy the show. So it wouldn't be an episode if I wasn't talking. Um, but I have actually had, like, a very big, I don't want to say hate, but just a very big disagreement with the way that the NFL runs its charitable, charitable stuff. Um, but they do do some good, and I'm going to talk about that first, because I don't want to be a negative Nancy. Um, but so their charitable work and funding started in 1973, um, when they established their charity arm of the organization, the biggest one is Play 60, which is an initiative aimed at getting kids out and playing for 60 minutes a day to help fight obesity. Can I stop you one second, though? Just for one, people didn't know about Adrian's, what Adrian said about the Cam Newton. Go find the kid talk, talking Cam Newton on the Play 60 commercial and then watch <laughs> any type of meme or anything you can of this overlay play. This is one of the funniest commercials ever. <laughs> Continue about great charity work. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't call it great, but... It's work. Charity work. <laughs> um, and so in order to get kids involved in actually doing the 60-minute thing, they've gone about this a whole bunch of different ways. So initially it started just as Play 60, and it's morphed into Fuel Up Play 60, or Fuel Up to Play 60, and this is housed on NFLRush.com, which is their site for kids. There's mobile games, like programming kid fantasy drafts like i mentioned before and it's kind of like a hub for all of their youth programs um so the way they do play 60 now is that they partner with a number of different organizations they partner with the national dairy council in order to help promote uh more nutritional uh balances in schools um so actually getting into the school and adding it into their lifestyle there since kids obviously spend the most of their time there and they do this for k through 12 and it's a they get kids involved by tracking their wellness and health and showing them that they're in control of it um they've also and this is actually probably one of the best things that they've done they partnered with uh, shriners hospital for children to create an nfl play 60 all ability guide and what this is is they actually sat down with people who rehab and work with um, differently abled people and they find what they did was they made an entire guide for people looking to get their kids involved Um, so it doesn't matter your limitations in mobility they've kind of they partner with Shriners to go out of your way to show you how your kid can be active even if you know everything in their life says they can't Um, so that to me was probably my favorite part of this 
Um, they're also an official champion of play at St. Jude Children's Research Center. So I wanted to say something. St. Jude's Research Children's Research Center, if you ever have a chance to ever look into them or donate to them you, or anything they do, you should totally do it. As far as I know, they are 100% all proceeds go yes. to charity work, and they're probably one of the best charities out there. Yeah, everything they do, they do feeds right back into yes. everything else. It feeds into research, into awareness, and it doesn't go anywhere else. Yes, they do every platform between NFL. I mean, we've talked about on eSports, they're there. They talked about other gaming charities, they're also there. They do mix with Twitch. They have foundations with streamers, with every probably every place you can find St. Jude does stuff, and they're probably one of the best charities that I can think of. Not that we don't have good ones, but we've done some good ones here, yes. Yeah. Um, so aside from that, um, they also partner with the National Recreation and Parks Association, and this um, what what that branch what that partnership does is it gives kids these packets on how to be active in and around their community. Um, with the locations that they can go to. Um, they're also with the American Heart Association. Um, and this one, as an edge, I, I, I don't do early childhood education, so I can't speak to this. Um, so if you do teach, please let me know. Um, I want to know more about how this actually impacts your classroom life. Um, but the American Heart Association partnered with the NFL to have teachers incorporate exercise into their classroom lessons. Um, and they came up with like 50 different exercises um, to perform throughout the school week, um, week or day, I can't remember what it was exactly, but to perform through their curriculum. And I, I don't know how to feel about that because I know dealing with 18 year olds teaching, they don't have long attention spans. So um, if you as a teacher and are listening to this have implemented any of these things, like please let me know. Um, I'm really interested to find out. Um, and then they also have the Gatorade Junior Training Camp, and this is a grassroots community outreach program. And this was designed to teach boys and girls football-related skills in a non-contact environment. So to take these skills and apply them to um, pretty much use them in their full potential. So the skills you learn in football and applying them to the rest of your life. You can't um, be given eight and fourteen-year-old CTE. <laughs> That's why it's non-contact. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, of course, they are also partnered with the Let's Move campaign, um, which was Michelle Obama's project, um, Nickelodeon, Playworks, Fitnessgram, and many more that I do not have time to list. After this, you also have the Let's Play football program, and what this does is it pairs pro um, pro. They, uh, what this does is pro players host a series of camps for youth to learn um, to learn the game, improve their skills, and this ranges from youth football to high school, and to instill the value the football values into their. They also partner with the Special Olympics. They have a really long tradition with the Boys and Girls Club of, um, of America, and they they have like a whole bunch of different programs, like ranging from like the inception of this group to now. Um, it was really hard to find them all and kind of list them. Um, but one of the main things is they help maintain and manage NFL's youth education towns across the United States. After that, the NFL and the United Way have one of the longest running public service partnerships of its kind. They've done over a thousand PSAs over the 35 year relationship that they've had. And most recently they've joined with the NFL in the fight to reverse childhood obesity, which is why they're in the Play 60 area as well. And in addition, NFL and United Way do um, hometown huddle partners um, with local United Way offices with NFL clubs to conduct fitness focused day of service. 
services. Um, so then you also have the Salute to Service, and this is an NFL foundation that provides grants uh, grants in order to support those who have served or are currently serving in our military. Um, they also have player foundation grants, and these are grants to give, assist- give assistance to those who are currently in the NFL or those who have previously played. A lot of this is done for medical, at least from what I've seen, is done for medical bills, bills of older players because um, they were really not protected and did not make that much money. Yeah, so talking about older players, I think in talking about the escalation of the NFL and salaries, I believe in 1993, uh, the highest paid person made like maybe $3 million yeah. on their contract. So if you compare that to now, what you're seeing. The NFL does have a way to kind of compensate people who are in hard spots. And then you also have the Super Bowl legacy grants, which is um, done to give the cities who've hosted the Super Bowl $1 million as a and there's also the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. And this is an award where um, the NFL recognizes a player's contributions both on and off the field. Um. The Walter Payton Award is obviously something people definitely know. And most of the players that do win this do a lot. And I think the NFL does a poor job of actually showing who wins this award. Yeah. I, I personally don't know of any. I can probably, I think... Um, I can't think of what his name is. But uh, linebacker for the Panthers won it, I think, either two years ago. And so, like, the whole reason that some of these are a little bit shorter is this next part is one that kind of really frustrates me. Um, So there is a program called A Crucial Catch, and this is the NFL Foundation's partner with the American Cancer Society in an effort to raise awareness specifically of breast cancer. Um, so every October, the NFL also participates in raising awareness for breast cancer by wearing pink on their uniforms. So I just want to say this. Breast cancer runs in my family. My aunt is currently battling um, breast cancer right now um, as we speak. Um, another aunt had it. My grandma had it. And possibly is me having this big. So don't take what I'm saying as like me like, I guess, dragging the Susan B. Coleman Foundation or the NFL for this stuff. But when you donate to charities and when you buy goods that say their proceeds are going somewhere, do your research and make sure that the money that you're spending is actually having an impact on things. So before I get into a lot of the controversy so far as um, players and raising awareness, during the entire month of October, each each team, for each franchise, they raise about $31,000. How much is each team worth, Matt? $2.3 billion on average. Or $4.2 if you're the Dallas Cowboys. Billion. That is how much goes back to, to Susan B. Coleman. And it actually doesn't go back for research. It goes back towards um, campaigns run through the NFL. Um, and a lot of uh, watch uh, watchdog groups who, who have kind of made it their goal to step in and stop misinformation and help people actually seek adequate help and treatment and assessment. Um, have said that a lot of the stuff that the NFL puts out, it's the idea that a screening is all you need. And I've had a mammogram before. Like, there are different types of mammograms and there are different types of things to do to assess whether or not you have breast cancer. So a simple screening doesn't actually do it all. Um, So there's this idea that the NFL's projection is really simplified versus actually going out and educating people on these things like they're claiming to do. So beyond the fact that they actually give a very small amount than what the team is capable of, you can buy over 500 pink items through the NFL stores during October. That being said, if you're a player, you can only wear designated ones. 
Um, so if you get into it, D'Angelo Williams had requested to wear pink all year to raise awareness for breast cancer because his mom had died and he was denied. And then during October, he wore eye black um, that said find a cure and he ended up being fined. Um, he was fined a hefty sum. And remember the $31,000 number I said earlier. Cameron Hayward, he had Ironhead written in, the, in his eye black and that was to support his father who had died of brain cancer and he was doing that as a platform to raise awareness of that. And then you also run into probably the one that I have the biggest problem with, um, especially with the NFL's history, is you have William Gay, who is wearing purple cleats for um, the awareness of domestic violence, because October is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month as well, and that color is purple. And his mother was actually killed when he was a kid um, in a domestic violence incident. Um, so this for him was really important. Um, and he wrote a really great piece on why he did it. And he, this is just his words because he can say it better than I did. It's not that I don't understand the value of money. It's not that I'm trying to stir trouble. When I wore those purple cleats, I was standing for something much larger than a football game. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and purple is the official color of the cause. When I was eight, I lost my mother. She was shot three times by my stepfather fatally before he also killed himself. My mother didn't know she was in an abusive relationship until it was too late. She didn't know what domestic violence was, let alone how to get help. Awareness to me is everything. And that's also why he starred in um, some of the PSAs that came out. Um, not starred, but you know, he, he, he's been letting his voice do it. He was fine for those cleats. Um, like I understand that if you kind of just open the door, like anybody can wear anything and it can, it can go a whole bunch of different ways. But at the same time, like every cause is worthy and I'm sorry, but breast cancer research actually gets funded really, really heavily because it's the, it seems to be the only thing that really large corporations or um, organizations tend to care about. Um, and it kind of gets on my nerves a little bit. So I apologize if I sound kind of angry. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to look in the studies of actual donation money. Oh, for, no, for I have. Actual cancers and diseases that kill people versus actually what you should be paying for that actually does kill people. Yeah. And I think, too, the other thing, um, the reason I said the $31,000, too, is in the amount of fines that were racked up between D'Angelo uh, Williams, Cameron Hayward, and William Gay, they would have paid that $31,000 back um, to the charities of their choice in their fines. And William Gay actually requested, I don't know if they did it, but he did request that his fine money, it was over $5,000, um, got sent to domestic violence, um, uh, uh, some sort of domestic violence awareness organization, whether it was a battered woman shelter or um, something else. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So I do know they both they both put in formal requests and both were form. Or at least I know DeAngelo Williams was formally denied, and yes. then he went paid for fifty three mammograms. Yeah. Yes. For each one for his uh, how old her his mother was. Yeah, and he was denied um, on the basis of uniform. Yes. Yeah. Um. I won't like particularly other than like play sixty, which I remember like when I was a kid. Um, I won't defend the NFL on in terms of like what they let their players wear because I think it's absolutely absolutely yeah. ridiculous. But I think in terms of their terrible works, why the NFL matters is because the players will take those fines. The players will do, which we'll talk about here a little bit later. Obviously, like they'll take stands on social issues regardless of like the consequences because those NFL players understand their impact on the kids. 
And if you look at like you know, charitable, like they they get paid so much money, and people like the Mannings and you know the Drew Breeses, even like the Dominican Sue, who's like a probably a terrible human being, like on the field, like gives a lot of money back to charity. And even these these smaller players. So um, Aaron Jones, who is now playing with the Packers, yeah. is a guy who I graduated high school with. And he is a phenomenal football player, and he's even now is like doing camps and stuff for the city of El Paso because he's kind of like our, um, you know, our shining light in the NFL right now. So whenever he comes back, you know for sure that dude is going, regardless of how his NFL career goes, he's going to come back and do NFL camps for the people of El Paso so they can think that they can, you know, do the same things that Aaron Jones did. So I think in terms of charitable work, it's the players that make that that impact from what they wear, from what they say to the stances that they take, regardless of the implications for their playing career after, regardless of like the ridiculous fines they're gonna gonna get that are mostly because Roger Goodell's too much of a pansy to like take a stance on it. So the players in the NFL definitely use their their fame to the right for the right reasons, I think, for for the majority of them who who, who understand, you know, their their place in society. So, would yeah. you say that, kind <clears throat> of, we do this on the NBA, would you believe the NBA or the NFL does it better? Maybe Spars? I think, I'm not sure. I think they do it pretty well. Um, I think it's different. I think they're pretty similar. I think it's different than, like, the WWE atmosphere because they're able to, like, because they're just different kind of, like, athletes. Yeah. So NBA, NFL, like they're going to be doing camps, well, yeah. and they're going to be do, like you can't do like a WWE camp for kids. You know what I mean? Like you, you can go do a whole bunch of Make a Wishes like John Cena, but like you're not going to have kids trained to be professional wrestlers. At least, at least from my from my knowledge, as like a, a kid who grew up on the NFL and those kind of camps, I appreciate those camps more than you know. Um, donating money to charities and stuff like yeah. that that's not that that's bad but like that's immediate impact to the younger yeah. generation who like 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 tim talked about in our nba episode like those are the gateways for those some of those kids to get out of you know their situations yeah. is sports and to have athletes from their own community come back and give back i think that's amazing yeah and i think that that was why i wanted to make sure to do the let's play football and the the -hmm. play 60 like way ahead of like all this other stuff because i think you're right it is very much this is what it does as an organizational foundation this is what people actually enact themselves um and to like what they have multiple partners actually feeding into what's being done and listening um versus like this is something that they decided to do and again what's on tv what's not yep I just don't think they do a good enough job promoting exactly no, they all don't. their camps and who does what. I had no idea about any of the stuff other than the Crucial Catch and Salute to Service. I didn't know about anything else. Well, the United Way and Boys and Girls Club, usually if you watch a game, commercials. Oh, yeah, I know, I know those, those but I'm talking about like their actual, like, this is our platform and this is what we're doing type thing. Like, I think I remember Nickelodeon, like, shutting off the TV for, like, mm-hmm. Or, like, only playing, like, weird... Uh, it was, like, a nature landscape type thing for a weekend to make kids go out and play. Yeah, I s- still think they still do, do they? it to this day. Okay. I remember it, I remember it being a thing when I was a kid. I think they still do it. Yeah. I think they're still pretty interactive with, with NFL okay. in terms of that Play 60. Yeah, because I remember my little yeah. brother being a kid, and um, that, like, that was... That it was weird to him, <laughs> um, but, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like, some of this stuff is impactful, um, but I just... I've worked for a nonprofit and I see how much money that these people make 
and have and then actually knowing the numbers on what they give back compared to how much they sell what they sell and how much they find is to be fair at least for nfl players on some standpoint of money wise they also compared to despite making everything they also probably the least they make the least amount of money out of all the professional sports. Well, yeah, I wasn't talking about the players. I guess I should, like... Yeah. Everything that I'm saying when I say they, yeah. I am referring to NFL as an organization. Right. And the executives yeah. yes. and and the commissioner who are making all this money and making these decisions and yeah. obviously valuing money over anything else. Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely protects the shield thing. But the players themselves are super charitable, yeah. and I think that's... Kate's last point, yeah. I think, highlights that better than, you know, any of the other stuff that they do because... At the end of the day, like they're the ones who make the impact. No one, like Roger Goodell's, like I'm gonna hold an NFL camp. No one's gonna go to that. But if Tom Brady, who obviously like has beef with Roger Goodell's, like I'm gonna have, I'm gonna hold an NFL camp. People are gonna show up in drones to go watch Tom Brady put on an yeah. NFL camp. And I hope he puts it on the exact same time Roger. Goodell I does. also agree. <laughs> we won't go down that rabbit hole. I think most people who like the NFL hate Roger yes. Goodell, so I don't think we have to hit on that too much. That then we already have. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's all I had for my charity stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, because I know we talked about charities and we talked about that down the road. When making these notes, I probably could have made about three, not only like three or four episodes worth, not just like talking, but probably in three different like total like genre types and totally yeah. different episodes. So if this is not something that's possibly revisited at another time or just other I ways. I think we can definitely revisit these issues like as an individual thing because we're definitely like we're trying to condense a lot of history right so we talked about charity we talked about economics that leaves the one and only everybody's favorite part that's my favorite favorite part part. um the basically nfl social issues and uh, what they've done on all because the nfl at least recently definitely become not as progressive and everything as the nba I, at least I would say. Yeah. On a lot of things. Especially even as much as the players. I don't think the players are even close to a lot of the NBA players. I don't know if you agree or disagree on that, Adrian. In terms of what? Like, in terms of, like, how they're treated? As far as or... a, actual, more actual issues involving, like, more than just, like, between, I guess, as they say, between the lines. I think they both, I mean, I think they both have their bad things in them. I think, I guess you're right, NFL's still a little behind the curve in terms of, like, those social issues, but I mean, the Donald Sterling thing is a huge glaring issue, at least in the last couple of years. Like Donald Sterling versus yeah. teams not taking Kaepernick, I think is like the two big big issues there. But they both have their issues, and they're tr- like, please, like just work through them. But yeah. So we're gonna start with I guess because we talked about an NBA and how I guess we talked about the demographics of each that of the actual league and the makeup. And so we want to talk about basically, the, I guess, the history of how the NFL became of their, I guess, race integration and their demographics. And the NFL I actually found is a little weird, per se, at least in the fact that, like, at the very beginning, it was actually they had black people and actually quite of other minorities, and especially, like, um, Native Americans. They were actually a big part of, like, the very first, like, the 20s and 30s. They made up a tons of, like, players in the NFL. Like, obviously, everybody's heard of Jim Thorpe, obviously. Mm-hmm. And if you ever listen to other podcasts, I think, believe it's Radio Lab does an entire conversation on this whole assimilation of Native Americans and turns it into almost like a training program using football. Yeah. 
like really quickly like essentially they would steal kids from their reservations or wherever they were living bring put them into a boarding school and then um, they realized that they played football really well and they pretty much just made dedicated teams of nothing but Native Americans playing football in the very beginning um, while forcing them to assimilate to everything else so yeah so anyways we'll go with like some of the I guess because we're talking about the first black white professional players, which is weird because the reason I say this is because it was in 1920 between two people of Fritz Pollard and Bobby Marshall for the NFL. Obviously, there was a, some other uh, Charles Follis, I believe, in the 1902s was a professional player. I don't know exactly a startup as far as like the NFL itself. And another weird thing that happened was Pollard was actually the first black coach in 1921 because obviously back oh, then wow. they used player coaches. And after he basically was done, they didn't have another single black coach until 1989 of Art Shell. God. Who, I believe, coached the Raiders, which is actually kind of interesting only because he, they rehired him back in, like, the 2010 era. And people would just take videos of him because he had, like, no facial emotions <laughs> or anything. He looked like a human statue. <laughs> Quite hilarious to watch. That. <sighs> but, yeah. Oh, so then I you guess have the, I can't be surprised because UT just had their first black coach. Yeah, well, and we do college is seven times worse than probably. Yeah, um, I, I believe it. I believe thing. it. So anyway, so basically you had the 20s and 30s kind of with numerous Native Americans. Obviously, you had some Asian Americans. You had some basically as uh, black people. And then you had some uh, other various uh, minorities within there. And then in 1933, essentially, they just kind of... The black players were kind of just gone. Basically, they had two remaining, and they were both basically gone by the end of the year. One was actually a really good player, but he apparently got into a lot of fights. I can only imagine why back then. And another went on to actually have a long, successful coaching career. And so despite being there at the beginning, they ended up having no black players until 1946 again. A lot of this happened because we had essentially um, the Great Depression happen during this year's which obviously we had a lot of internal politics, racism, because everybody's broke. And then you had Jim Crow laws. You had World War II. A lot of players were going, obviously, being um, going off to war. They also had, because of this Great Depression, a lot of these teams collapsed, which then meant a lot more, I guess, that white players were available versus black players, so they were obviously chosen for them in this time period. And so that kind of what happened from basically 1934 until 1946. They also had, essentially, our lovely guy of George Preston Marshall. Oh, God. Who entered the league in 1932. He was basically a very great innovator, and he actually did a ton for the league. And he did a lot of, like, good, valuable things, like set schedules he came up, he was actually one of the first people that and fought for, like, uh, TV marketing and everything. But he also was not very, a very good person. He was a racist. Yes. So he was the owner of the Boston Braves, which eventually became the Washington Redskins. And he essentially just kept that name because, one, he openly allowed and wanted and promoted for Native Americans to be on his team. And one coming from, he wanted to keep that, I guess, Native American connotation thing. So that's how the Washington Redskins got their name. And so, and I think he said his first uh, co head coach was actually Native American. 
appeared. I'm not sure because it said he was believed to be Native American, but I'm not really it sure. It might just be an appearance-based. Yeah, thing. I don't know if it was an appearance-based yeah. or if it was a Native American that might have been through assimilation. So, who knows? Yeah, that's true. One of the two, I'm not really sure. But along this route, he was also basically refused to have black people on his team. And he also, since he was one of the top owners and basically led you know, a lot of the changes with, in like growing the league, he also basically reported we had a lot of pressure and he was a big advocate for all the other teams to follow suit and this is the best way to go about this. And so he, throughout this whole year, while he's doing all this stuff, he essentially just never had any black people on his team. And one of the reasons, one, he basically knew the Redskins fan base was in the South. And in one, he wanted to uh, basically favor the South and his fan base. <laughs> Which, I mean, it, it's kind of, I know for some people who, I guess, I, honestly, if you're not in, if you're not an ethnic minority yourself, um, it's kind of hard to understand, like, why somebody is, like, open to Native Americans, but is, like, really hates black people. Like, that happens a lot. Like, people of color do that amongst ourselves, too, where for some, like, the target of hate usually always ends with with it's always projected towards black people like regardless of anything and so you, you let other people climb up while still pushing these other people down and it's just it's it's exhausting and this guy's terrible and i hate him already so the funny thing was we talked about not wanting change why not he was totally against the expansion of the nfl mainly all in toward to the south so obviously he had all these redskin fans from the south he didn't want any other team from the south and it actually led to, as we talk about other fun times like the Congress deal, to a guy by the name of the Clint Murchison, basically went and attained all the rights to the Redskins fight song for all their games. He then used this song and these rights to extort uh, Marshall to get a team. This team, he finally agreed to it, and this became the expansion team of the Dallas Cowboys. So that's why they hate each other. That's a really deep rivalry. Yes. So that is how we became of the Dallas Cowboys through extortion. That sounds of copyright laws. Uh, so why this? So basically, what makes this dude also interesting, besides he was open about all this and whatnot, is so in 1946, after the war and all this stuff, um, basically a guy by the name of Kenny Washington, who was a UCLA star, had just returned to war. He tried to play when he just got out of college. He was basically didn't get a contract. And the Los Angeles Rams were, eventually the Los Angeles Rams were moving to Los Angeles at the time, and they means they're going to use the Los Angeles Coliseum. And since UCLA is a big part of what they use, them and UCLA use the Coliseum, a lot of people wanted Kenny Washington, who just returned from war, to be on the team, and they made, note, made it fully aware to the NFL that there were no black people on their roster, and that the Coliseum is funded by public funds. As we talked about earlier, with all the money that's being done into stadiums, it even happened back then. So essentially, we got rode into the deal where we're only going to approve the Los Angeles or the Rams to come to Los Angeles and allow basically them to play in the Coliseum if they basically had a black person on their roster. And that's how we came with the first black person back. So they forced integration through Coliseum rights. Yes. And then we went to so this is 1946, and why we go back to Marshall is because. The first drafted player, or first person was 1946, the first drafted black person out of college was 1949, and then by the, you know, 1950s, obviously they're starting to integrate, and, you know, uh, back to, like, I guess, you know, not necessarily what they've come today, but, you know, slowly they're coming back back into the league. Marshall, on the hand, refused to have this, and they actually, the Washington Redskins, did not actually get a black player on their team until 1962, when essentially... 
Stuart Udall, I guess, or Udall? Udall. The Interior Secretary and the Attorney General at the time, Robert Kennedy, or Robert F. Kennedy, the guy that RFK Stadium for the Redskins is named after, basically made an ultimatum to where they have to sign a black player or their 30-year lease in D.C. will be, they'll be basically evicted and they won't be allowed to play there anymore since, one, it's a government-owned stadium that was governmentally funded. And so they were finally like, okay, obviously green trumps all. We will sign a black player. So that first year back, they drafted Ernie Davis, who's actually a very uh, popular Syracuse player that everybody knows. And he made this thing, I will never play for that son of a bitch, and refused to play for them. So they had to trade him and eventually had to sign Bobby Mitchell. And it leads back to then he was inducted into the pro, not Bobby Mitchell, but then a year later, uh, Marshall was then inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963. Uh. And so we say all that to come back to, to, around to today, because today's NFL statistics, like at 2014, and really look for more, is basically 68% of the demogra- demographic breakdown, 68% of the players are black, 28% are white, and 4% make up all the other races. So just like the NBA, the demographics and how they kind of progress through the years. Yeah. Why not? Well, it leads to basically 2003, the Rooney Rule, which basically they've had a problem with, uh, as we talked about, Art Shell was the last one, or the first one in like 60 years of being hired, a thing where basically in order for coaches to hire teams, basically you have to interview a racial minority for head coaching position, and then 2009 was expanded to senior management and player personnel positions. So this could be of any non-white minority. Which I actually didn't realize the Rooney Rule actually has only been around since 2003. I actually thought it was a lot longer than that. But yeah, the Rooney Rule is after the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, owners. That's just, that's insane. So yeah, I think the other part that I've kind of alluded to, too, has been just the NFL's trouble with the law. Um, and this is a really big issue specifically right now with um, this Ezekiel Elliott and everything um, so over the years, the NFL has taken a lot of heat and criticism for the lack of discipline that it does for its players, particularly the fact that it doesn't really have a set policy on a lot of the disciplinary actions. There's always language in their policies that state that pretty much the commissioner, um, in this case Goodell, has the final word on how much anybody gets, um, gets suspension, whether or not they're cut, whether or not they're put on an exempt list, and that's pretty crappy, so it's really inconsistent. Um, so specifically, um, in 20, in September 2014, they implemented a baseline six game suspension for domestic violence. Um, and it's extremely inconsistent, like I said. So the NFL does its own investigation and then comes to a conclusion. Um, since this has been done, 18 players have committed domestic violence or been accused of committing domestic violence. Um, only two specifically have received, uh, I believe, three now, because Ezekiel Elliott has six, but Rodney Austin got the six-game suspension, but he got it after he had already been dropped from his team. Um, So a lot of good that does. And then J.J. Warden got a six-game suspension. It was reported in October 16, and he was cut in June by the Rams. Um, And then now you have Ezekiel Elliott with the six-game suspension. Um, But there have been 18 incidents, and... These incidents aren't small. They range from assault and battery to rape, sexual battery, child abuse, and a misdemeanor with firearms. <laughs> um, so there's a lot. Um, I think the other problem, too, has been that during these investigations, it's been an average of 11 months for it to actually come up with a conclusion 
yeah. for this thing. So basically, something like you talked about uh, Rodney Austin, it happened in April. They came up and suspended him, I believe it was in September. So that whole thing yeah. took like seven months. And to put in perspective, he was dropped by his team four days after he was arrested. Um, so a lot of good that did. Um, but the reason it's a real problem, too... Not only do these investigations take really long, but it's been very, very apparent that the NFL only does it as a public relations tactic. So they only do it after something has surfaced. We saw that with Ray Rice, where they backtracked on their initial ruling, and we saw it again with John Brown. That, I mean, this guy beat his wife over 20 times. He kept a journal of it. Um, and later, they, they released the journal online, which detailed all of this assault, and then they did something about it. Um, and so there's, and we'll, we'll link it in the show notes to an actual um, breakdown of everything that's happened since this rule has been passed. Um, but essentially, there's a lot. And we want to talk about more, but we're already really pushing time um, right now. I think, I think you're, I mean, not to like be just because of the time thing, but like they're just super inconsistent on their game bans. Like Tom Brady got banned or suspended for four games for, like not even proving that phone. he did bad stuff in a football game, but Ray Rice knocked out his wife like yeah. on video and didn't get anything like that much worse. Yeah. Like it, it's just way too inconsistent for the severity of the crimes that we're talking about here. Or if you smoke weed, you get in more trouble than you do if you beat a rape a woman. So the big thing was also between Tom Brady thing was using Josh Gordon, who's at this point failed more drug tests than anything else but he was actually ended up being suspended a lot longer than ray rice was yeah and that was yeah and the fact that probably the as much as we talk about the ray rice because the video the main almost i don't want to say poster child of this whole thing was ray mcdonald he's trash he's definitely the poster who was basically child. accused of in all this stuff of domestic violence in 2014 this is after the uh, policy had already been i believe put in place he didn't get suspended. It was right before, because the policy oh, right was in be- September. Oh, September, so August. So put this, it happened right as they're making the policy. He wasn't suspended at all, and he wasn't released or anything else. They kept playing him. And then all of a sudden he got accused of, I believe, rape in December he that year. He was indicted on rape. Indicted yes. on rape later in that year. So finally the 49ers said, okay, you're being released finally. And then he was picked up basically a few days later by the Bears... Which he then went on to play for them until basically he got accused of another, basically, I believe it was another domestic violence in 2015. Uh, yeah. Of May of 2015. So not even in a year, he had three accounts. He was never actually once suspended. And basically after the third time, he finally uh, was released. And I don't know if he's actually, I think he's finally done. Yeah. And it wasn't just that. He also stopped his ex-wife. Yes. So that's what happens, and that's why I have a hard time saying nice things, but a lot about a lot about the organization because it just it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, Roger Goodell is just a terrible human being. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, we wanted to talk about this more, and we have a lot more on our notes. If you check out our Patreon, we we do put up our our research notes. So you can see all the stuff that we didn't get to cover, and we do um do the other side of the wormhole where matt will cover all the stuff we didn't get to talk about with usually one of us sometimes by himself um so you can check that out on twitch yeah um i really want to dedicate more time to this but i'll probably release um check out the article um the article has a lot of information for the entire state of this um 
But this article was also in January of this year, but obviously it's been a few months, but still pretty recent. Yeah, yeah. It's probably one of the most recent, like, collections of everything that's happened. Yes. For the most part. So, this kind of leads into the last uh, topic, or not really topic, but obviously for time straight, what we talk about is this whole... As I like to call it, paid, and obviously it's kind of the coined name of paid. I was like, it's not how you like to call it. I've been calling it like this for years. I've known about this for a long time. Yeah. Well, no, just like that, that's what everybody calls it. Yeah, but I mean, I've known about this for a long time, and I've been arguing about this for video games for almost 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Paid patriotism. So, one we'll probably talk about, if you haven't noticed, or no, noticed, no... Colin Kaepernick has been a brought apart or been a part of this giant, I guess giant or this giant backlash protest of kneeling before the national anthem. That's kind of had boycotts on both sides. People basically supporting him, and then obviously a bunch of people like basically boycotting the NFL over this. But this whole thing about paid patriotism. Before we get into that, is while everybody was yelling on whether somebody was taking a kneel. For the national anthem, the NFL agreed in last year to pay back seven thousand, or no, excuse me, seven hundred twenty-seven thousand or twenty thousand dollars into the quote-unquote U.S. taxpayers for paid patriotism. People probably didn't realize that because it was definitely swept under the rug quite a bit that you don't know. Because in 2015, a congressional report came out of the Department of Defense paid five point four million dollars to NFL teams, and. Um, from 2011 to 2014 for basically all of these new basically on the field ceremonies and like patriotism di- displays and like all this like military salute to all these people basically they paid for and the coast guard as well did as well they paid 6.7 million from 2013 to 2015 for similar dis- displays so essentially the basically the military was giving all the teams all this money to basically show that we love America and patriotism. It's not like actually patriotism more than we just paid a bunch of people to act like it. So the funny thing back to Kaepernick is as much as the people were mad about the national anthem when this whole paid patriotism thing kind of really took off as I said 2011 from this report but I've at least seen it before I've noticed it before especially from a military family and Players weren't even on the field for the National Anthem until 2009. So we said this week, basically got started for the modern era, quote-unquote, of 1970. So from 1970 until 2009, players were in the locker room while the National Anthem was played, probably sitting on the bench in the locker room, talking, going over reports. But basically, it was good for business. The NFL started throwing them on the field. And then that's how we ended up with Colin Kaepernick. Another fun fact is actually before 2001 Patriots, they didn't even run out on the field until as a team. They just did it individually. So if you don't know what the Colin Kaepernick thing is, essentially between all the violence and stuff that's going on in the country, between violence against black people, whether it be by police or by other uh, white supremacists, supremacists, as we had in Virginia-type Uh, a few weeks ago and other types of violence going on he decided he was going to take a knee in protest of the flag not because he hates america but because he felt like america wasn't helping him and And people like him and i think that that's really important too because what colin uh kaepernick started like if you 
if you have a hard time understanding that like like people of color do not have the same position in society if you look at Rapinoe she's a female um, team USA soccer player she also kneeled and she had a really she had a great statement as well that said I you know I do this in solidarity with solidarity with Kaepernick and I do it for you know because she she's lesbian the LGBTQ community is not treated like a part of the fabric of this country when we are and I I should not I'm not going to stand for something that doesn't think that I'm a part of it and obviously that echoes what uh, Kaepernick was saying when he initially started his protest um, in conjunction with the uh, with Black Lives Matter um, and the just really terrible videos that we that were finally public like this has always been happening um, but that everybody finally got to see of you know unarmed predominantly black men being killed while complying or um, just complete their lives being completely disregarded so for him and for a lot of people in this country they don't feel like they're a part of it because obviously their lives are valued a lot less and that's why he decided to take a knee and like personally I always thought taking a knee was respectful like I thought it was a, a respectful sign like he's not sitting playing on his phone like, I always thought taking a knee meant that you respected somebody and that you respected what was happening at the moment. At least when I played the cross and somebody get injured on the field, you wouldn't just rush back to your box. You'd kneel and you'd wait to make sure they were okay before you did anything else as a sign of respect for them. Um, and then obviously the main backlash because there's so much of this patriotism at football games was that he was offending uh, military service members and that that was where a lot of that came. I think my biggest problem with it was like his initial statement uh, when he first first did it. Like now, I think it's a little bit of a different thing now than when he first first did it. Um, he's like, I'm not going to show pride in a flag for a country that like oppresses black people, and you know, um, and it's selfish for me to look at that that way. That's when he was riding the bench, getting paid 19 million dollars a year. It's really like hard for me to like take that comment seriously when you're a bench warmer making 19 million dollars a year. Like that's more money. That's like and one nineteenth of money that I'll probably never see in my entire life. But you're riding the bench, getting paid that much money as an athlete in this country. Like if I stay in education, I'll never make a million dollars ever. That's just not. It's just not feasible. I think I don't. Because to be honest, at this point, I don't think he was being he wasn't playing that great. I mean, even like later in the season when he did get to play, he didn't play all that great. I don't. I think part of this is why he's not playing anymore. But I think the other part of it is that he's just not very good anymore. Now that other players are doing it for like I think more or less like the right reasons now, especially with our political climate, because he kind of just did it in like a preseason game and people like really lost their mind about it. Because I think because of the way that he said it. I think is a big issue that people take like a lot of uh, a problem with, especially like military people with like, if you say, Hey, I'm not going to stand for this flag. And then you have people who fought and died for the country who fought for the flag. And then you're making $19 million throwing a football around and you're going to take a knee as like a protest. It just doesn't, it just, the dichotomy doesn't really make sense for me. I think for me though, like, I think he's doing the same thing that the people are doing now in kneeling. He, I, mean, I think you're right. I think he probably yeah. That's what I'm saying. That, like, that's my biggest initial problem because like the anniversary of him doing that is like pretty recent, like within the last couple of days or so. And my initial reaction was like, yeah. what other country in yeah. the entire world is going to let you ride the bench for 19 million dollars? What other country other than America pays athletes like this, other than like premier Premier League countries? Well, 
and even then, like those are established countries. You know, you're playing football for millions of dollars a year, and for you to say that, of course, you're going to get a huge backlash with um, military members specifically, who are going to say, "Hey, you know, I fight for your right to say that." Is there a different way? Because I, I don't know, it's it's a whole weird situation to be for for me to be honest, and I'm and and I'm honest and I'm honestly torn on the whole thing. So, like, interesting. It's hard for me to take athletes seriously when they're because I'm sure he's he's. Cause he really, like, not to say like to discredit like his his upbringing, but he had a pretty middle class life. Like it's not like he was like these um, like these Marshawn Lynches and stuff like that who had pretty rough rough childhoods. So it's just for me looking at the person who is saying it reflects a lot for me because anyone can say hey racism is bad, but if you're making nineteen million dollars a year and you say racism is bad and you're kind of profiting on the, like people around you it just just makes doesn't make a lot of sense to me so the only thing i do have is one i don't know when he was actually adopted because i'm pretty sure he was an orphan or something like that yeah his mom gave him up yeah and so but two so what's the difference between because i mean obviously this is tough and kind of torn obviously coming from military things but other parts of the whole part i have a problem because they a lot of the shit's just paid patriotism like the money part but difference between because I know we talked about the NBA episode of like LeBron coming out and saying yeah. this stuff because yeah. I know he had all that when his house got broken into and he's come yeah. out and said a lot of things and like yeah. even Kevin Durant right now just said he didn't want to go meet the president yeah. and he makes a lot more money than yeah. and no, uh, like, Colin Kaepernick and so at what point do we draw the line? No, no, like, I, 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 I don't draw the line to be honest because for those of you who listen to the NBA episode, I love LeBron James. But I don't think ESPN needs to be covering what LeBron James said about racism. Like, what what is he supposed to say? Like, racism is awesome? Like, of course he's going to denounce racism as a public, like, like one of the biggest athletes in the entire world. Of course he's going to denounce racism. Like, that's what, that's what you expect him to do as a player who just got his house defaced by racism. Um, does it make me think, like, when I encounter people, like, oh, LeBron James says racism is bad. I better not think that like I better look at this person difference because LeBron James said it like it, it doesn't really in in terms of that like it doesn't affect me that much because of course I think that's bad before LeBron James says it if you change your mind because a uh, pro athlete getting paid way more money than you do on like a social issue and that goes for like celebrities it goes for actors like if you change your mind based solely because a Colin Kaepernick or a LeBron James said something I think there's a deeper issue there than their message itself well the the, i guess the whole thing is have is uh so do we want so do you want your act athlete to be activist or you just want them to shut up and play unless like they're doing stuff to like encourage kids to get out and you know follow their dreams and stuff i don't think that we need to of course they're like they're gonna have those opinions but i don't think we need to focus so much on it because at the end of the day they're still just athletes Nothing LeBron James says is going to influence legislation. Nothing Colin Kaepernick is going to say is going to influence legislation. All they can do is use their their celebrity to give back to communities, which Colin Kaepernick did after all of this stuff happened, which I think is like is how I would do it if I was in his position. Yeah, he's donating yeah. $100,000 well, yeah. a month each month since this happened. Yeah, yeah. he donates all of his jer- his jersey sales to and he's yeah. also given his entire he's he's like cleaned out his closet and given it to homeless people to help them find jobs and have them yeah. refitted for them because I mean he's a big dude. Um I think like for me and and we kind of heard it um in that in that gay quote where he was talking about like it's not money for me. It's not this. Like I have a special position as an NFL player. 
So I need to use that to raise awareness of something that I'm passionate about and something that impacts people. Um, and I think that a lot of the time, like, it is easy to just, like, write it out. But if you do say something about these ben- about these issues, specifically when you're in a sport that, although there are a lot of black athletes playing, you know, it, it, it's been studied, like, the majority of fans don't want it politicized. And so the moment that you do something that can be politicized, you are oh, yeah. putting a target on your back. Because as much as, like, as much as it's easy to say racism is bad, like, we just had, like, a racist run a car into, like, a group of people saying racists are bad. So it's kind of like everybody right now at, like, every level needs to be using their voice however much they can. Um, And I think it was at that point, specifically for the black community, where, like, every day they're waking up and seeing a different video of another black man being shot. Um, He probably could have said it better. Like, I agree. But I also do know, like, the flag, like, me, the flag is a symbol, and it's whatever people attach to it. And that flag, as much as people fought for it, yes, like, I'm not taking that away from it at all. That flag can be utilized in a lot of different ways. It was utilized um, that white supremacist rally. People were marching that right along with the Nazi flag and the Dixie flag. And so, like, it's a symbol. And when people actively use that symbol to take something away from somebody in this country, that needs to be addressed. And it's not saying that you didn't fight for something great. Like, you're right. Servicemen and women fought for our, you know, fought for us to be able to do this and to maintain that. But this country also does not always see everybody as equal or for everybody to have that same opportunity. So I guess, like, for me, it's just kind of if you do make a lot of money, like... A lot of the times, like, you're going to influence, make maybe a kid whose parents are racist sees, like, his favorite basketball player say something. And you know what? Maybe that kid's not going to turn into a racist because the person he idolizes outside of his parents isn't a dick. Like, I think everything we put out into the world has power. And I think when you have such a, p- a place to project from, it it can help. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean... I just don't think that we should dictate our feelings for day-to-day life based on these guys who make obscene amount more money than we will ever see yeah. in our lifetime. Yeah, I, th- I, right. I think I think like, that's my big issue with it. Like, yeah. regardless of like how he feels, like he's still benefiting off of the American culture to pay, like we said in the beginning of the episode, paying hundreds of dollars and billions of dollars for like these stadiums so people like Colin Kaepernick can go play in the stadium or ride the bench for you know half a season and still make obscene amount of money. Yeah. Like, I think it's, I think it's, I think like, it's obviously like a black white issue for like the black life matter and all that stuff too. But there's deeper issues in our country that support and glorify these athletes as much as I like love watching it. Like, do I think they need to be paying nine? Do I think Colin Kaepernick deserves $19 million a year? No way in any way, shape or form. Um, no, there's no way that any athlete deserves yeah, that much money. But in other, if you're not in like the premier league in any other country in the world, you're not making that kind of money. Only in America can you make that kind of money, because we've already we've already seen it. MLB and the NFL make more money than the Premier League, so it's definitely like an American issue where we just glorify athletes like this much to pay them that much amount of money, even for bench warmers. Do I care that he takes a knee? Not really. Like, is it is it gonna bug me? Like, and like it, it goes along the same lines. Like, I don't care what his stance is. It's not gonna affect my day to day. If he takes a knee, who? I don't care. If someone takes a knee. If Teddy Bridgewater, you know, tomorrow takes a knee during a game, I really don't care. 
I just care how they perform on the field and what they're doing in their spare time. If they're giving back and they're donating all the stuff, that's much better than what they do during the national anthem, which I love and will always stand for. Like, it doesn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't affect my day to day. Like, I shouldn't write angry posts about it on Facebook for because <laughs> this dude who I will never meet in my life took a knee during the national anthem. Like, it shouldn't matter that much. I think that's what bothers me that much. Like, it shouldn't. I don't think it should matter. Like, like, why are you getting angry about like? Like, you already don't have control over who wins these games. Like, you think you have control over who's going to take a knee or not? Like, no. Like, c- like care about what you're, you're going to control. I already take enough – like, I already hurt enough for wide left, Matt. So, <laughs> I can't fit more unruliness in my heart for people taking a knee during the national anthem. I just don't care where they do it. It never was part of me. You can look at the crowd, people playing on their phones. I can go – been as plenty of places they play a national anthem people don't actually care yeah. and the only time it seems like i mean i'm not saying everybody but it just seems like a lot of times you can i can probably go we play before we just do a 5k they play a national anthem all the time and there's people doing whatever they want to all the time people walking down the street doing whatever nobody's yelling at them yeah. and i mean this whole hadn't really did anything. I mean, I guess he came out and said it because people asked him about it, but it's not like he's being disruptive or running around the field doing anything. And I just... We play a national anthem which we cut out half the lyrics as it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, you want to play the whole thing with all the lyrics? Then we can tell them exactly how we really feel as a country when they made this song. Yeah. I just... And plus, I just have a problem with because uh, as much as the national anthem thing, I just don't care. Because literally, the only reason this became a topic and the only reason people care is because, as always, the military started giving a bunch of money to a bunch of people to act like people to be patriotism. And like I said, before 2009, nobody was even on the field. Nobody cared then. Now we make sure to have a camera on every single person on 25 and every single thing to see if anybody flinched or maybe somebody looked down or moved their eye the wrong way in disrespecting a flag. And I don't know. I mean, the flag's great and I get the symbol, but to me... If you need a flag to justify what country you live in and to justify anything and, like, what, I guess, America stands for, then maybe you should actually go do something and quit worrying about a damn flag. I just don't get it. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't affect my day life. And I see people post and get mad and angry. Donates $100,000 a month. Nobody else, I don't see anybody else donating $100,000 a month. Kind of after the fact, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was, I mean. But it was after the fact because he realized people were buying his jerseys because he had done this. Yeah, it's it's still after the fact. Like, he wasn't doing this before, but he's doing it after. Like, if it was really that big of an issue, he would have been doing something before rather than after. It, but it's like a whole rabbit hole thing, like. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, if it was really that, yeah. if it was that big of a deal, he wouldn't have just taken a knee. He would have been donating a hundred thousand dollars a month, regardless of whether or not people were buying his jersey or not. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I just kind of wonder because you're making nineteen million dollars a year to like not even start. That just blows my well, mind. Well, I guess. Well, that's the other thing that blows my mind. Well, maybe the Clippers players should have just shut up and who cares and taken their money and they shouldn't have done anything. Because that's the only problem I have with that is, like, if you're going to have that, Clippers players were making a lot more money. He was still paying them a lot more money. Maybe they should have taken the money then. They didn't have to just say anything. I'm not saying just take your money. I'm just saying use your money to do stuff before it becomes, like, a national issue. Which is why, yeah, I, I, mean, which is why I like NFL players so much because they do stuff without 
because you don't you don't hear like you said like we don't hear about the Walter Payton Award winners. Yeah. They do yeah. that without the spotlight. But you only know that he does all of this stuff because he was in the spotlight. Like you don't I don't remember the last Walter Payton winner, and I'm sure he does way more than what Colin Kaepernick oh, yeah. has done in the last year. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's what you do with it. It shouldn't be like an after the fact thing for me. Is all. Yeah. I can see that. It's like either way, they're making a shit ton of money, so you have a shit ton of money that you should be giving away. Yeah. <laughs> or if, if you care about these things. But, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> We're, We're really definitely going to see how it but... plays out as it now moves on throughout the rest of the year. Hopefully, eventually, kind of like I said, it will just go away and be able to play. Yeah, because that's... Like, what do you mean, I mean, go away? Like, people focusing on it? Well, just kind of... I don't like it, kind of like he was saying, like... I don't know, like, there's now cameras focusing on every single person, every single player doing that. If the anthem means what it's supposed to mean, just show a field spotlight of, like, the stadium and listen to the anthem. You don't have to go and super analyze and put a camera up to some dude's face while we're playing a song. Because, like I said, that's literally just part of, like, this whole, like, we're going to show players to act like they're patriots. Well, that's what I was going to say, too. I don't even think it's so much that. I think it's because when, when Kaepernick got that backlash... There was money to be made in the media by reporting other players doing this. Yes. And so the thing is, is like I, I forgot who it was, but somebody has been has been sitting for the national anthem for like since 2011. Marshawn Lynch yeah. has like basically sat on the bench the whole time. He just yeah. never really. But now, now they're focusing on him because they caught him doing it now in this stuff, and he's like it. Like there's a focus on it because he did it. And people got mad about it, and now they're focused. I I honestly feel like the backlash is not as big as it was portrayed to be. Personally, well, like, I don't. So essentially, census. Yes, a little bit. <laughs> so essentially, there've been a lot of like quote unquote boycotts of the NFL. Uh, attendance and basically ratings have dropped by I think a, quite a bit. I want to say it's close to seven percent from the past year. Uh, all the polls that have been ran and everything of like why like this is possible cause and why people have a problem. Literally, people will say I quit watching the NFL because of this. Yeah, there's a bunch of people on my Facebook this year that are boycotting the NFL because of the whole Colin Kaepernick situation. Which is funny. Which, which is I was like, I mean, Ray Rice uppercutted his of... girlfriend, and you didn't stop watching the NFL. Like Kaepernick yeah, took her knee, no, and now you're taking now you're gonna boycott the NFL. Like, yeah, don't worry. There's like a bunch of history fans of di- like cheering on Greg Hardy. But yeah, Greg Hardy is a terrible human being, but now that Greg yeah. now that Colin Kaepernick oh, but don't took worry. a knee, Jerry Jones is all his people are gonna stand for the freaking anthem. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick. Is like, yeah, was you know subpar quarterback, and he's not playing in the NFL anymore. But Greg Hardy, Ray Rice are uppercutting their significant others, but that's okay. Like it's just the boycott doesn't make any sense to me for this specific issue. Like, I really don't feel like he's not on a team because he's because of this issue. Because uh, people looked at Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson is on the Saints right now. Like, yeah, people do messed up things and still get to play in the NFL regardless of like of what they done. Greg. Uh, uh, <laughs> Roethlisberger? Yeah, like, there's tons of issues in the NFL that people who've done way worse up than Colin Kaepernick, and most of them are black. Uh, well, I just don't think he's is, good like enough I to play anymore. This, not worth, the, not the, worth hit, the problem. Because of the hit? I mean, I don't know. You tell me that. You tell me you would have Brock Osweiler on your team over Colin Kaepernick? To avoid all of this stuff? Probably, yeah. Well, we're talking about straight talent. 
Yeah, because then if it's to avoid all of this stuff, and that would mean that it did factor into him getting, like, nobody taking him. Yeah, but you keep Adrian Peterson. You, The Cowboys go after, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's still playing because of how good they yeah, are. Yeah, no. I no, I don't think it's. I, I think I think one, it's harder to play as a superstar. But two, I genuinely don't think people give a crap when when a woman gets beat or raped. I'm sorry, like it ha- like Mayweather. Oh, that's a whole other <laughs> like, thing. Like so talk about much that. support for him, yeah. but no, but like that shows the trend. You can beat a woman, you can rape a woman, and people will still support. And you. y'all could at me on Twitter for this, but this is why I don't think it's a black thing because all the players we just mentioned, other than like Roethlisberger, those are all black players. Like this isn't a race thing. This is how good you are and how much the American people can overlook your discretions based on how good you are. It's why Adrian Peterson can beat his kid and still play on NFL teams. It's why Ray Rice even got like remotely looked at, but people didn't take him because they didn't think he was good enough to overlook him uppercutting his his uh, significant other in an elevator. Like it's definitely a talent thing more than it is I think the issue thing. I really, the only really thing I have that. is I mean, put it this way, he's gone to more Super Bowls than any of your Vikings quarterbacks since what, Frank Tarleton or whatever? I mean, but that was a defense run team, though. Like it's it's not. It the was same. a run team. I know it's not, but I'm telling you, compared to some of the quarterbacks that are being signed, you take a Brock Osweiler on your team. Look at the Denver Broncos. Who the hell is even they're going to be their starting quarterback? What about the Houston I, Texans? I take them over Kaepernick's last couple of seasons. Like, there's a reason why this why the the 49ers are not the same team anymore because they lost all their defenders and Colin Kaepernick started to suck. Like it's. It's yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he didn't start to suck, but I thing. also know his last season was definitely not as bad as what people say. Just wasn't wasn't great. Sam I Bradford mean, had a better his... season than Colin Kaepernick did, and Sam Bradford is awful. Last year, nope. So last year he had 16 touchdowns and four interceptions, a quarterback rating of a 90.7. What was their record? If Dallas Cowboys record of half the other teams, Dallas Cowboys tell you Browns. anything, all that matters is record at the end of the year. That's fine. Look at the Browns. They don't have a quarterback. What was their record? I think... Look at the Texans. I think, ultimately, like, what this comes down to is, like, you can at me on Twitter for this, but the majority of the NFL fan base is male, which means they're probably related to the military in some way, which means they have a sense of hyper-nationalism and hyper-masculinity, which means that they're not going to overlook somebody... I'm doing scare quotes here. Disrespecting the flag, but they will overlook somebody being being raped or beat like that like i think that's just how it breaks down like there are priorities and there are certain like people don't like being told that their country isn't the best country in the world and when you shine the light on that or you tell somebody that something is racist or something something bad is being done people don't like to have their bubble popped because you can't detach yourself from the violence that he was pointing to and that other players are now pointing to you can't remove yourself from that you cannot watch the Ray Rice video. You can, you can, you're not in that relationship. Whereas this is something that these players are speaking to, something that is fundamental to the country. It's the same reason, like, you can't, like, you can't, if somebody's doing something problematic, I can't say, dude, you're being really racist right now. I have to go about it a nice way. Because if I say that, they're going to shut down. Because people don't like being pointed out, of the, out to their flaws. Sexual assault and domestic violence are somebody else's flaws. And they can overlook that for their talent. Having your bubble bursted, that's personal. Yeah. I think I think yeah. all this really comes down to is just like what how the how the individual sees the situations because I will 
yeah. hate Mayweather. I will hate John Jones. I will hate yeah. Ray Rice. Um, I publicly denounced Adrian Peterson because of like their personal actions over, you know, I think those are way worse issues and those people are still glorified and Colin Kaepernick and me. And I don't think that's as bad, but you you overlook them because they're great athletes. And I don't think, I think that's the problem there. Um, I can see that. And if, yeah, if you're giving Colin Kaepernick mess for kneeling to the national anthem, but you're not like standing or, being silent during the national anthem like every time you hear it then that's also a problem in my opinion yeah no that that is true plus i also think adrian had the best tweet of the fight never root for a white a wife beater i will never root for women beaters cheaters cokeheads just not yeah it's just personal preference yeah no i I think it's i think it's a good moral compass adrian (laughs) (laughs) i think that should be the, the the outcome um, so I think um, that's kind of a very strong note to end this on, but I think it's good. I mean, that's the type of podcast we are. We talk about these things, and uh, I guess final things. Adrian, why does the NFL matter? Uh, like a lot of things that we talk about in these these episodes, it just really kind of like takes me out of like my day-to-day. It's, you know, one day out of like – 16 weeks out of the year or 19 weeks out of the year, depending on how you look at it, where I could just spend a Sunday and not really worry about anything other than rooting for this one team. What players do, whether people like it or not, you know, people care about, I I don't really care about it too, too much, but in terms of like big national statements, but like I said before, those, those football camps that players come back and do in El Paso all the time have huge turnouts. Like at the end of the day, as a, person who works in education it's all about the kids for me and as long as the nfl players work towards the kids i think that'll always have a place in the pop culture spectrum of mattering Uh, and i've just played football almost all my life so you know it's never gonna not be a staple of of my day-to-day i don't think matt so i mean why does it matter one i mean obviously i played football for quite a bit growing up and stuff but um as far as, like, I actually enjoy watching the game and players play and, like, the actual, like, I guess the sport itself and everything. But, and so I enjoy that. I enjoy fantasy, obviously, because I enjoy numbers and it's all statistics-based and whatnot. So that's cool. You could honestly be, whether it be anything, I gambled on esports. But anything. <laughs> Anyways. But it matters to me because I enjoy watching it and does, like I said, takes your mind off of things in the actual sport or the everyday, yeah, excuse me, the everyday, I guess, life of living and adulting. <laughs> but as far as the NFL itself and, like, as far as all the other kind of stuff we've talked about and everything, I personally don't either, really don't, not necessarily care, but I don't really like, I don't like what the NFL, a lot of what they do, the inconsistencies, I don't care for the thing. It's po- basically whether it's players being political or what are we just the NFL being paid to be political. Like, I just like to watch the game and I don't really, like, if you took away the NFL and just put players out there playing, like, I probably enjoy college a lot more than I actually do the NFL. So, yeah. I enjoy football itself. Back in my day, there wasn't 20 commercials in a 10-minute span. I didn't even get to talk about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for me, I mean, I obviously am not the most knowledgeable person 
about the NFL and football more broadly, but for me, the NFL mattered because of bonding moments with my dad. My bad. My dad is not like the most emotional person, and he doesn't like he's he he's a silent type, so he doesn't really talk that much. But like watching football, and like watching the Thanksgiving Day with him, uh, the Thanksgiving Day games with him, watching the Super Bowl, watching just anytime the Redskins played, um, those are bonding moments for me. And I feel like the like. Football is kind of, I don't know how much, we didn't really talk about it, but, like, tailgating and communities, and that's always my boat why, though, like, the community, um, even if it's a Buffalo Bills tailgate. No, I think, that's a, I think that's a great point. Like, like Matt was saying, there's 32 teams in the NFL, and only two of them play in the Super Bowl, which means yeah. the vast majority of people in the, in the U.S., their favorite team is not playing, but people still will watch till this day i haven't seen a super bowl in my lifetime where the vikings have played but i still have watched every super bowl from what I, when i can remember just because super bowl tailgate parties or super bowl parties are some of like the best times of the year like it's almost national holiday at this point that too i mean like if you're wearing a jersey for a team like that that's an easy like if you're alone in a place that's an easy way to know that like hey i could probably go say hi to that guy i also like that team yeah. come help me give me directions like it i don't know i, I think it's yeah. <laughs> so that, that's me. It's not, like, too big or too centered around the NFL other than they give us football programming. Um, I've obviously made my Goodell thoughts really clear, so. Yeah. I just wish for one thing, either come back to this topic somewhat because I did, didn't t- talk about community aspects somewhat. Didn't talk about CTE, brain damage, um, steroids, um, <laughs> actual gaming or the actual games of football and somewhat and players like how the game progressed yeah the and, players and so. as Stephen A. Smith would say the weed we didn't talk about their <laughs> issue with that didn't even get, or or basically the uh, all the people on Ritalin and amphetamines up in Seattle yep so basically there's, so there's a lot more that we could cover yes. um, but you will hear this episode in two parts and we are at two and a half hours on our end of recording so we're gonna wrap it up um, as always, you can find me at OhMyMythRandier on Instagram and Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z 93. And as the season kicks off, you can expect lots of Viking tweets. Oh, yeah. Watch the live tweets at ButWhyTheOPC on Twitter. Come follow us. We, we tweet some good live tweets sometimes and yeah. get a little recognition. Yeah. Just spoil things. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I yeah. do do spoilers. And what about you, Matt? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at datm18, D-A-T-T-M-1-8. Um, so, yeah, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.